Welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Check out all their podcasts, all their live events, everything they got going on over at OsirisPod.com. I hope everyone out there had a happy holiday season and wishing you all the best as we wade into 2024. On this episode, I present an interview with Nancy Cates, the acclaimed filmmaker behind the groundbreaking documentary, Brother Outsider, The Life of Bayard Rustin. This pivotal work was instrumental in introducing a broader audience to the life of Rustin, an openly gay black civil rights leader and a driving force behind the March on Washington. Nancy also produced and directed the feature-length HBO documentary regarding Susan Sontag about the late essayist, novelist, director, and activist. Her other film credits include Castro Cowboy, a short film about the late Marlboro model Christian Heron, who died of AIDS in 1996. Also, Joining the Tribe, Married People, and Going to Extremes. During his 60-year career as an activist, organizer, and an angelic troublemaker, Bayard Rustin formulated many of the strategies that propelled the American civil rights movement. His passionate belief in Gandhi's philosophy of nonviolence drew Martin Luther King Jr. and other leaders to him in the 1940s and 1950s. In 1963, Rustin brought his unique skills to the crowning glory of his civil rights career. His work in organizing the March on Washington, the biggest protest America had ever seen. But his open homosexuality forced him to remain in the background, marking him again and again as a brother outsider. Brother Outsider, the life of Bayard Rustin, combines rare archival footage, some of it never before broadcast in the U.S., with provocative interviews to illuminate the life and work of a forgotten prophet of social change. With a new feature film on his life having just been released on Netflix, which is excellent, by the way, Underscoring the foundation, Nancy's documentary set in bringing his story to the forefront. Rustin's monumental role as a central strategist in the civil rights movement and his unwavering stand for peace and justice cast him as a towering figure in U.S. history. His narrative, particularly as an openly gay advocate in perilous times, has found a renewed resonance in our current socio-political environment. In Nancy's documentary, brings back to life a man who profoundly influenced the course of the civil rights and peace movements. So, in this episode, me and Nancy dig deeply into just how pivotal a figure Bayard Rustin was in the civil rights movement while questioning why he often remained outside the scope of notoriety as a brother outsider. We discuss what it was like for Rustin to be shamelessly gay in America in the 1960s, his on and off relationship with Martin Luther King, how he brought the March on Washington to life, and so much more. You're truly going to want to check out Brother Outsider. It's an incredible documentary. It's so thorough, captures his life from the beginning to its final moments. And uh, you're going to learn more about it in this excellent interview with Nancy Cates. Cross the margin. 
podcast. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for coming on the program. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Yep. So I'm curious. Like so now, um, <laughs> now with the uh, the the Netflix um, um, movie and everything, now a lot of people are coming to know um, Bayard's story. But uh, you're kind of one of the first people to uh, kind of shine a bright light on it um, when this documentary came out. And I was kind of curious, you know, how did you come upon the story, or um, you know, why do you want to tell it, or how do you connect with it originally? So. I always think it's funny that most of my ideas for my films come from reading the newspaper and my family was in the newspaper business. So I started reading the newspaper. I mean, it was probably just the headlines when I was six, but you know, mm -hmm. I'm like serious about the newspaper. Yeah. And I read this review of a biography of him by a man named Jervis Anderson, who used to write for the New Yorker. He's no longer alive. Mm -hmm. And so Jervis Anderson had also written a biography of a Philip Randolph, who was Rustin's mentor. So I just read this fairly short New York Times book review about this man who started at the age of 15 being an activist and continued until he died at the age of 75. And I thought, my God, like, look what this guy did with his life. Like he, he was an activist for 60 years and what a commitment to trying to improve the world. And I just thought the rest of us are just putzes by comparison. That was literally the thought I had. And then I thought, well, someone needs to make a film about this guy. And I, I think I had heard of him, but I just didn't know anything about him. And, you know, I called up my friend who had worked on Eyes on the Prize, the TV landmark civil rights TV series. And, and he said, oh, well, I've been thinking about a film about Russin for a decade. And I'm thinking, like, well, why didn't you already make it? Yeah. Um, but that's how this started. And I, I think I was just really inspired by by his commitments and and also that a gay man was so central to the civil rights movement, but wasn't really seen because of being gay and, and just the complications of identity and intersectionality. We weren't really calling it that in 1997 when I had this idea, but I'm not sure when Kimberly Cranshaw invented that word, but I think it was a couple of years later, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I should look that up. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was almost frustrating when I'm like, now that I've, I've gotten, you know, I've spent a lot of time with your doc and did watch the Netflix movie. And then I've just kind of done my own research, a whole bunch about him. I'm like, how did I not know about him? How do people not know him? It's like, it's, it's so pivotal. It's such a pivotal thing that it's, it's almost, I, I, I was a little bit ashamed to not, to not know his story. Well, you shouldn't be. I mean, first of all, we don't really teach the history of marginalized communities in our public schools. I mean, fact. California now has a law that says that you have to teach Mexican American history mm -hmm. and, you know, Japanese American history and mm -hmm. queer history. I don't know if they're actually enforcing it. I don't know that they're doing it, but there's mm -hmm. a law that says they have to, yeah. but that's, and California is one of the most progressive states in the country, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that anyone in, you know, many communities would, it's not just that they're not, you know, we're taught the history of the civil rights movement is just Martin Luther King. And there yep. were thousands and thousands of people that were involved in it. Absolutely. And, you know, and also a lot of work that was done, including by people like Rustin, like mm -hmm. decades before King, you know, became a pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll talk not, about it a little, little bit when we get into Martin. Um, but I mean, uh, Rustin taught him a lot and, and, and kind of pushed him in certain ways, which was absolutely uh, fascinating. Um Looks like, did you freeze? Can are you there? I'm here. I yeah. I, I'm not. Okay. I'm, oh, it's 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 better. It's better. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, I would love. But, I would love. Can I just go say on. one more thing about that? Of um, course. I, of course. I once, you know, I do a lot of speaking at colleges and universities, yeah. and um, 
a long time ago when the film first came out, I had a student get upset with me and she said, I think you're dishonoring Dr. King. And I said, I don't think it does dishonor Dr. King to show that he wasn't the only person who was a mastermind of this Mm -hmm. entire movement. And it was a really interesting exchange because the student was so in a way limited by her own conditioning of what this history was. Yeah, You know, she was far too young to have been involved in it. Um, and it was a hard thing for me as the you know adult to try to understand how to explain this to her without getting her more upset. Yeah, yeah. you know. So yeah, the true disservice is. I mean, the movement is it was it was it took so many people, and the true disservice is is to not tell the stories of everyone who really really worked so hard to make it all happen. Well, and there were so many local activists who were you know completely unknown, or they were known in their towns and. Yeah. You know, it's 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 hard to tell the story of movements because it's it's so it's such a diffused thing. It's Mm -hmm. much easier to say, well, one person did this, but that's not really the truth. And I I guess my interest in all this is, as you know, I tell true stories or at least Mm -hmm. attempt to that Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, there's a much broader history, maybe than even the what people are exposed to in whatever education they have about the civil rights movement. Absolutely. Um, it was interesting to learn about his youth. Um, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about kind of how his youth kind of informed who he became, uh, what, you know, whether it's activism or just what, what you know, what he, um, you know, uh, became in life. Um, how, did, how did his uh, fascinating childhood um, kind of, uh, you know, lean him towards the, the, the man he became? Well, there are so many different parts of his childhood. I'm there not really are. Where to begin, but one thing that's really interesting is, you know, in the 1920s and 30s, they were taught elocution in the Westchester, Pennsylvania public schools. So Russell always spoke kind of in this fake British accent, but I think it came from these elocution lessons that he had in elementary school, mm. and also, which I think they were being taught because. African-American kids were already at a huge disadvantage because of their race. And there was this sense that they had to be better than everyone else just to get anywhere. Um, but, you know, he recited poetry. He was a great athlete. He played football in high school. And we were extraordinarily lucky that we wrote to his high school and they had some film from 1931, you know, and, amazing. you know, playing football. I mean, it's not the greatest footage in the world, but it was so, amazing. So exists. You know, he lived with his grandparents and he was not told until a certain age that his grandparents were actually not his parents, Mm. Um, you know, because there was a lot of scandal with his mother and I think who had had more than one partner. Um, But um, he, his grandmother was a very devout Quaker. There were Mm. not that many African-American Quakers at that time. Um, Unfortunately, the Quakers were also fairly racist in that period of time. But she was also very involved in the NAACP and, you know, important people in the African-American world would come and stay with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was exposed to a lot. Um, Westchester, Pennsylvania is still a kind of, it's not very far from Philadelphia, but it's kind of its own universe. Really? I was really shocked when I went there, just how it felt like it was kind of stuck in decades before the time that, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I don't know, when I, 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 this was probably unfair to Westchester today, but when I went there, which was probably in 1999, um, I went to the Historical Society, I asked for their folder about Rustin, 
And they said, we don't have one. And I said, I'm sorry, you're lying to me. He's the most famous person that it was born in this town in the last 70 years. Show me the file. And they were really mad at me. But guess what? They had one. They had it. They had it. (laughs) And I was kind of like, what is this? And then somebody said, it's not necessarily about their being homophobic about Russ and they don't like outsiders. I I don't know. I don't know. But I was really... I could feel the sort of animosity towards me for even asking about this guy. Yeah. That's wild. Um, wild. And I, I think things have changed there. Um, but, you know, but even I was telling someone else the story that uh, when we were making the film, they decided to build a new high school and they mm. formed a committee and the committee suggested that they name it after Rustin. And then some either racist or homophobic person said, I think this is a bad idea. And then they formed another committee to reconsider okay. the idea of naming it after him. And I wrote... <laughs> the newspaper a letter and I said we're about to launch this film we're going to be in 300 newspapers across the country you know I'm happy to tell them that his hometown does not want to honor him like yeah. and then I started getting that out there with my letter to the <laughs> and I don't know how much my sort of like pushing them around mm-hmm. helped but they did name the high school after him love it amazing <laughs> it's it, it had to happen that was my little moment of activism. Well, I collected all these signatures. I mean, I'm not really an activist. I'm a yeah. filmmaker, but I, yeah. I did, you know, and probably everyone in Westchester still hates me. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> I think some people now in hindsight would, would you know, as more people come to know his story, would appreciate the fact that, you know, that that does exist and that does cherish him and, and honor him. Well, and I think it was probably a few people, not the whole town. I just sure. want to be <laughs> couple because those few people are loud often loud often the um one of the stories i love um kind of about his youth and later in his life his college years he when he was uh he was upset about the food he got thrown out of college because yeah wilberforce like university yeah yeah he didn't like the food at, at that that university and so he put up you know he protested against it and they, and they, they did throw him out <laughs> well he was thrown out of several schools and then uh-huh. he went to new york city and um, he was taking classes, but he was also getting involved in the Young Communist League at that time. And he was only involved in it for a couple of years, but his political enemies would throw this accusation that he was a communist at him for decades after that was the case. Okay. You know, just a little tiny bit of context that the, mm-hmm. you know, the communists were much more forceful about promoting racial equality than mm-hmm. other groups in the 1930s. So there were a lot of African-Americans who were involved yeah. briefly and then you know as world war ii loomed and they people realized that stalin was a fascist they mm-hmm. left the party um but there was a reason why Af- young african-americans were interested in, in the communist party in america is they were yeah. actually progressive yep absolutely um so you already mentioned one of his mentors and um i think talking about some people who influenced him or how they influenced them is very important to who he became and what he you know, kind of brought to the table for the civil rights movement. There are two that really come to mind, A.J. Musty and Gandhi, of course. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the influences that pushed him towards kind of this peaceful way of protest and kind of his tactics that he that he used throughout throughout his uh, career? And I want to include um, A. Philip Randolph just because yes. he was a major yep. labor yep. figure. He was the person who started the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, and he was a brilliant labor leader, and he really influenced Rustin as well. Mm-hmm. A.J. Musty was the head of something called the Fellowship of Reconciliation, and he was a Christian pacifist, and he was a minister, and um, he was definitely probably influenced Rustin to be interested in nonviolence. 
um, unfortunately, like Musty didn't, Musty loved Rustin, but didn't entirely approve of him as a gay man. And um, as we show in our film, like they, they eventually had to sort of break from each other because Musty couldn't handle, you know, Rustin getting in trouble for his sexuality. Um, Rustin went to India in 1948, um, 47, 48, I'm a little rusty on this, um, hoping to meet with Gandhi and he had studied Gandhi's work um, and Gandhi had been assassinated like between the time that he created the idea for the trip and got the funding for it and when he went there, um, but he met with Nehru and all these other people and we were fortunate enough to interview someone named Devi Prasad who you know, much later generation of Indian pacifists, but Devi Prasad had lived in Gandhi's ashram for like 20 years. This is long after Gandhi was dead. Um, but it was a really important thread in all of this. I mean, Dr. King also studied nonviolence and Gandhi, but Rustin was much more versed in it at the time of, of the Montgomery bus boycott. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can, there are these lines that you can trace that you know that Thoreau was studied by Gan Henry David Thoreau who believed in nonviolent protest mm -hmm. studied by Gandhi Gandhi took some of those ideas and made them his own and used them to fight off British colonialism in India and then those same ideas come back to the United yeah. States in the mm -hmm. civil rights movement it's really fascinating yeah it's cool to see that bounce back and forth that's really cool um let's talk a little bit about it was kind of beautiful to see how shamelessly gay he was in America in a time where that had to be incredibly trying. Um, so I guess I guess my question there is is kind of a tough word, shamelessly gay. Yeah, I don't mean that. I mean he was just he was so proud of who he was, and I didn't mean that in any way. And it was just really cool to see because it was you know there was many people asking him to hide it i apologize about that word but many people asking him to hide it and not be who you are and it was amazing to see him be who he was um and i was wondering what what you thought about that and had you know i just i just find that beautiful well his grandmother was actually incredibly accepting of him again yeah. like you know this is in the 20s and 30s it's like close to 100 years ago it's hard to fathom mm -hmm. uh, that's what i'm getting at yeah you know, I don't know why she had that attitude towards mm -hmm. him because so many people, you know, so many families even today cannot handle their kid being queer. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think it gave him a certain kind of confidence. He was also this incredibly like sexy, handsome, accomplished, brilliant man. So everyone wanted him. I mean, he was, you know, he had quite an active life, you know, as a gay man. And, you know, and I think he really enjoyed his sexuality. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, he was out, it's very complicated to talk about it in 2024 terms. I'm sorry, I'm still getting used to the fact that we have a new year. Um, you know, <laughs> he, he was out, but he was out sort of in the circles that he moved in. Yeah. Like he, he was then forced to be out because mm -hmm. you know, racists and homophobes like Strom Thurmond, you know, the Southerner, you know, kind of brought up his arrest record when he, he was arrested in California in 1953 on what was called a morals charge. Um, because the police had nothing better to do than to interrupt people's sexual encounters, <laughs> um, which is itself is like totally nuts. And, and by the way, I went to Pasadena and I looked at all these newspaper reports and they did it also to heterosexual couples who were maybe having affairs. Oh, really? Yeah. They were, it yeah. was just like, like you would, I guess there wasn't much crime in Pasadena yeah. in 1953. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, he is a role model in that way that he, mm -hmm. he wasn't, 
ashamed. It's true. I, I think that I just hit on the word shameless because I'm queer myself and yeah, there's yeah. something about that that just Yeah. No, no, no. It's it's nothing and to it, be shamed about. And I didn't mean that term, but it was just I just found it so beautiful how open and, and just, you know, honest with whom he was. And I was leading you towards the grandmother thing because I thought that was amazing that she was accepting in her own ways. And you describe how in the in, in, in the doc. But you know, I, I don't I just want to caution that even even the sort of like most uh, I don't know what the word is mm -hmm. adjusted gay person before you know well even today like there's people are trying to shame you for who you are it's it doesn't hasn't gone away entirely Question. you know in America we don't like difference mm -hmm. we don't accept difference we don't you know I think it's a lot different than it was when say I was a kid but um you know, there is an ongoing attempt to shame queer people for who they are. And and there's this, you know, obviously still going on with the right is, you know, trying to attack trans children. You know, they don't vote. I guess that's the reason that they're perceived as this tiny minority that, you know, has no clout. But the, the fact is that, you know, he was brave. He was also just you know, kind of a fully realized human being, which is one of the reasons it was fun to make a film about him. But mm -hmm. at moments did feel embarrassment about the lack of acceptance is the way I would put it. It's not this quite the same as shame, but yeah. he was yeah. he was not, you know, there was this very interesting exchange of letters with him after he got, he was actually thrown in jail for 30 days in Pasadena and his other arrests had been because he was protesting something but he was thrown in jail because he was having a sexual encounter. And the, the exchange of letters with AJ Musty is, you know, he was embarrassed by that. Mm -hmm. And, he, you know, he felt horrible about it. And because and how it affected his work and all the progress they were making. Right. And yeah. one of the most amazing things that happened in our film is that before he died, he asked his psychiatrist because he went for counseling in 1953. His psychiatrist was still alive at the time. And he said, please talk to people about me. Like psychiatrists are not supposed to talk to anyone, uh -huh. you know, whether their clients are living or dead. Yeah. And what's weird is Dr. Asher, who, who's actually the father of a filmmaker. It's very mm -hmm. interesting. Um, mm -hmm. His psychiatrist, you know, still believed in 2000 or whenever we went to talk to him that you could cure people of homosexuality but only if they wanted to be cured. And he was, you know, he was really uncomfortable talking to us because it was sort of against everything he ever had imagined about his career, but he had been told to do it by Rustin. Mm -hmm. And he was very proud of wow. having helped Rustin. Oh, cool. You know, he told Rustin to kind of tone it down, which again, mm. today feels very homophobic. Yeah. But I think he was trying to say, if your sexuality gets in the way of the, of the goals you're trying to achieve in the political world, yeah. it's not helping anything and it's yeah. not going to help you. And yeah. of course, all these different people, including allies of the civil rights movement or, you know, I don't know what to call Adam Clayton Powell. Um, you know, he was the, the representative from Harlem who was thought to be bisexual himself. Mm. You know, even okay. Powell like threatened the movement by threatening Rustin. And he, you know, came up with this outrageous lie that he was going to say that King was sleeping with Rustin. Mm -hmm. King was extremely heterosexual. <laughs> I think this was a ridiculous thing. But if he so. had said that in public, it would have hurt the movement. So so the psychiatrist had a certain political savvy about all of this. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also, you know, it's hard to imagine today that somebody would 
be asked to be closeted due to their work. You know, things are very different now than they were then. Fortunately, um, you brought up King. I'd love to talk a little bit about King and um, that there was that rift, which I didn't know about, which is very interesting. But I thought I think it was really fascinating to um, learn what Rustin brought to him. Um, you know, they, you talk about the first encounter where there was guns involved and that was something, uh, you know, uh, Rustin wasn't impressed uh, uh, about. And, um, you know, he, he did influence King in certain ways. And I'd love to hear you talk about that. So when, when Rustin first went to Montgomery to help Dr. King, the bus boycott had been going on for like four weeks or something. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Rustin was from New York City. The bus boycott was in Montgomery, Alabama. You know, he was older than King. He was gay. He was a northerner. He was very sophisticated. He'd been doing nonviolent protest work for, I don't know, almost 20 years at that point. Well, at least 15. Um, and King had these men with guns guarding him because he was afraid for his family and rightly so because appropriately yeah where people murdered you know mm -hmm. Emmett Till being one of them but you know there were other people um who were adults who were you know sorry get something in my, um you know who were murdered by mm -hmm. the clan or racist white folks in the yeah. south and and Russell said you can't be the leader of a nonviolent movement if you have these people with guns around yeah. and and that you know there was a feature film that HBO did called Boycott um, that we used a little clip of to show this, but it 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 is a true story, um, and you know so so I think that King wasn't committed to nonviolence for his family, you know, or he had fear, which is understandable. Totally. Um, and I think Rustin was able to teach him that. But beyond that, Rustin was a brilliant strategist. It was Rustin's idea to start the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which is not something we were able to deal with in the film, but that was the organization that King created of other ministers to help, you know, create a national movement for civil rights. And, you know, King just didn't have, he was, you know, he was a man of faith. He was brilliant. He was an incredible orator, obviously, but he didn't have the organizational skills of a Bayard Rustin. And you know, which obviously comes to fruition, you know, in the biggest way for the March on Washington in Absolutely. 1963, but he, he really helped King long before that. Yeah. And then, you know, he had to leave because he was, you know, considered an outsider and there was all this stuff about how he could endanger the movement himself, even in 1956 in Montgomery. Um, so, and another thing that which people don't know, and which we also didn't really, I, I certainly looked at all the footage, but there was a a children's march to Washington before the March on Washington. And oh, there was, was a prayer there were two different marches and I'm going to forget the actual dates, but one yeah. of them was in 1959. There were mm -hmm. much smaller events than the 1963 March on Washington, but King was involved in these other events and Rustin must have influenced him to, to be part of those as well. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just like we had 84 minutes that we were given from PBS totally. to make, <laughs> make tough decisions about what was going to be included and what wasn't going to be included. And I was okay. fascinated by the fact that there were these much smaller marches before the big march. I can't believe how much you fit in there anyways within those 84 minutes. It's super, okay. super impressive and educational. We have to talk a little bit about the march in Washington. I don't know which angle to take, but I guess I guess uh, the the simple question would be just how remarkable it was for him to bring that, I mean, the biggest protest that America has ever seen amidst all these challenges that we've already touched on a bunch. Um, you know, how how did he find a way 
to bring this to life. I mean, it's just remarkable. Yeah, well, it was just to be clear for your listeners, it was the largest yeah. protest ever held up to that point up in that American point. history. Of course, yeah. Since then, there have been larger protests mm -hmm. in Washington. Um, again, he knew what to do. Like he he knew that they needed portables, for example. Um, there was this whole thing about how there'd be no you know unsupervised pissing or something. Yeah. He knew that people needed food, so there was this huge sandwich brigade. Like people mm -hmm. made thousands of sandwiches. You know, he knew that people needed buses. You know, there were like hundreds and hundreds of buses brought people from various parts of the country to the march. And he got the labor unions. I mean, there's a lot of footage where there are these men with these sort of white hats and they almost look like they're catering hats or something like mm -hmm. that, but they're actually AFL-CIO hats. He got the labor unions to pay for most of it. Yeah. Again, with a Philip Randolph, who was the titular head of the mm -hmm. march, Russin was actually running it, but... Uh, Mr. Randolph was given the title of the of the head of it so that Rustin, you know, wouldn't so people would take fewer pot shots at yeah. Rustin, although they did it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I mean, one interesting thing about the sequence in the film is that I was actually against having the I have a dream speech in it at all. Oh, yeah. Because I wanted us to look at Rustin. Yeah. And Rustin is always sort of in the corner of the frame, literally, mm -hmm. if you think about a, a film frame, like he's always yeah. behind Dr. King, supporting him. In the shop, but not, yeah. And I, I kind of thought that like edges of the frame or something would be an interesting title for a movie. Like nobody oh, else cool. wanted that. But, you yeah. know, because yeah. that's really where, you know, he wasn't just an outsider in sort of the way he was perceived in and outside the movement he was literally outside the center of the frame in the shots that we were looking at yeah. and i got like soundly outvoted by the people i was working with on this and you know of course it's an amazing speech i guess i just felt like i wanted us to look at the whole the whole thing the whole you know it was this landmark moment in american history and instead of looking at the speech i wanted us to look at rustin mm. so i anyway i lost that one and i think probably <laughs> that was not a bad idea but yeah. I, I you know I, we'll never know yeah. i mean there are actually quite a number of speeches in the film and also debates um yep. and for example the announcement of of king's assassination is from a speech by robert kennedy and I, um, there was one Martin Luther King day that I was listening to the radio and, and they played the speech and I was driving and I started crying, yeah. you know, and cause he, cause Kennedy, Robert Kennedy says, I've had members of my own family struck down, Wow. you know, and he said, yeah. you know, you'll be tempted towards violence, mm -hmm. but there's another way to respond to this. And of yeah. course there were horrible riots after King mm -hmm. died many American cities, like buildings were burned and it was, there was a lot of violence. It was, no one listened to Robert Kennedy, unfortunately, yeah, but yeah. it's a very, very moving speech. And, and I guess I felt a little better about having the, I have a dream speech in because we had Bobby Kennedy as well, totally. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. a little, I'm getting off subject, but I don't no, know if I answered no. your question. No, no, it was a, it was a loaded question. I mean, again, to kind of harken back what we started talking about initially, when I was saying it was, it was kind of mind blowing to me that that I, I knew so little about Rustin because it is so amazing what he did to bring that march to life. It just it's 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 just it's it's a monumental contribution to the civil rights movement as 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 much as so other he did. It was so interesting to Wait, see I, kind of as I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can I say one more thing about of this? Of course you can. His his 
nonviolent training for several decades by that point was also very important because he trained a group of off-duty New York City police officers. Exactly, yep. And that was really critical for this thing to go off successfully because yeah. Russin was convinced that all these racists would come out to sort of counter protest the march and that yeah. that could be a very dangerous situation. And he just, you know, he was brilliant. He could see kind of the big picture of what was going to happen that day. So anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt they you. Do, they do a fun job in the Netflix movie of actually showing them yelling at these police officers, kind of training them to get used to being yelled at and, and the whole thing. It's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that point up because that's very, very fascinating. It was great to see as the kind of um, the tail end of the, the documentary and we got to see you know, because he went on and did he, his focus shifted to different different aspects of, um, you know, important, important things that to it kind of the, from politics, from protest to politics movement. Um, you know, he was he was he was worried about war in general. Nuclear testing came a thing. This was all mind blowing to me that someone who had done so much in in one realm was just so nonstop looking to for the betterment of of civilization I'm, I'm not afraid to say that and go that big um can you talk a little bit about kind of places he went and things he did uh, kind of later in his life well even not later i mean so there was this group called the american committee for africa which uh -huh. came out of the fellowship of reconciliation and the congress of racial equality core and so he met with Nkrume and these other new African leaders of countries that had recently left colonialism. I mean, you know, like he, I, I don't know how much he influenced them or what happened, but he, you know, he went to Africa. Um, he went to India, as we've mentioned. He gave a, an important speech in Trafalgar Square in the 50s against nuclear weapons. It was a huge protest. Um, you know, people don't remember that these things, you know, people were terrified of nuclear weapons in the 50s yeah. mm -hmm. and, you know, for good reason. Um, you know, they he helped organize a protest. France detonated a nuclear weapon in Ghana in the desert, and he um, organized this whole international brigade of people to go there. And, um, you know, it's quite interesting because his the papers that he left behind, um, is, is this going to be noisy for the... The, the yeah, cat's totally, totally good. Oh, I love watching a cat coming across the screen. I, once in a while, a tail pops up. It's fun. Well, just, you know, if you're recording this anyway, I've got oh. a happy cat here. Um, yep, yep. The, the lists of like the stuff that they brought, like it, there's this piece, there are these pieces of paper that say we need like, you know, 900 gallons of fuel for our trucks. And eventually, this was a fairly dangerous thing for them to do. You cannot go into an area where someone's going to detonate a nuclear weapon and, and do like, you know, a sit-in. So the, of course they didn't get close enough to be in danger, but there were marchers, marches in Accra in Ghana. And, you know, just, that was just one of the things that he did. Um, later in life, he was involved in Freedom House, which was an organization, it still exists, which uh, monitors elections in other countries. He was, he was always very, um, appreciative that there were so many Jewish allies in the civil rights movement and, and participants. And so he also, um, he was on a commission with Elie Wiesel and he went to Auschwitz and cool. other places in Poland. Wow. Um, there's a photograph of him with gold in my ear. He went to Israel and it was by that point, he was, this was sort of, it was fairly controversial for an African-American to be that kind of in support of Israel, which I don't want to get into that whole kettle of fish, but we're not going you know. there. Yeah. 
it, it, you know, even at the time and yeah, of course, in my ear, not a perfect person, mm -hmm. um, but he, you know, he also did all this human rights work in Cambodia and, and mm -hmm. those countries. So he, you know, he, he always had an international part of his work um, in our film his colleagues in America are mad at him for being in Ghana in 1959 because the 1960 presidential election was coming mm -hmm. up and they wanted to do these protests at the Democratic Convention and where the hell was he who is in Africa like Bring you know home. can't be in two places at once but he you know and a lot of the colleagues that he had worked with in the 40s and 50s continued doing that work in Africa for the rest of their careers so it wasn't it wasn't a new thing that he was doing that later in life he also you know, started something called the A. Philip Randolph Institute, which was sort of a home for him within the labor movement. And he was trying to get more African-Americans into the trades because those are very good jobs. At least they were in the 60s. I don't know if they are now. Um, you know, you can make a really decent living if you're, you know, a pipe fitter or an electrician, and particularly in New York City. So he did have a wide range of activities that he was involved with. And I, I think they all kind of connect. Um, but you know, one of the reasons why we couldn't cover everything is 84 minutes, you know, yeah. we had to kind of summarize some of this towards the end of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and one other thing, I mean, which we do, I think it's worth saying for your listeners, huh? he had, you know, f both had these mentor figures and sort of rebelled against them to some degree in, in Randolph and Musty. And then another generation came up and they were much more radical than he was even. And, and the Black Power folks, some of them rebelled against Rustin. Yep. And unfortunately, some of them were also being very homophobic or, or mm -hmm. at least using his sexuality against him. But there are these debates in the film. There's one with Kwame Torre, um, all, you know, who had been known as Stokely Carmichael, mm -hmm. um, who had also looked up to Rustin, but then, you know, kind of became this radical chic guy himself. And there's one with Malcolm X. And yeah. it's, we, there was no easy way to explain this, but Rustin debated Malcolm X because Malcolm wasn't being allowed to speak um, at Howard University. And mm -hmm. so he got this, you know, he basically created this debate so this that Malcolm could speak, him, even though Malcolm was sort of trashing yeah. him, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so he was he had a generosity of spirit, which I think really did come from his being a Quaker. Yeah. Yeah. And he he really believed that we were all connected. Mm -hmm. He didn't, I don't think he went to Quaker meeting, but he practiced Quakerism in his yeah. actual daily life. Yeah, it affected him. That's beautiful. Uh, bring us home a little bit. What would you, I guess, uh, I don't want to ask a legacy question, but I would ask like a question kind of focused on brother outside of your doc. What would you love people to take away from it um, at the end of the day? That's a big question. It's a big question, um, Nancy. I don't know. Well, my mom is now 95, so this uh -huh. is a while ago, but she saw the film like, I don't know, three times when it came out. And she said, you know, I need to do more. Wow. And my mother, I think she may was still, maybe was, I think she had retired by then. I can't remember. She was a corporate librarian, yeah. you know, and she's, you know, she gives money away, but she's not an activist of any kind. Yep. And I guess I, I hope that that, I was so happy when she said that. Yep. That and, just know, huge smile on my face. That's like, wild. Maybe we all need to do more. Yeah. I need to do more. Um, and or that we can make a difference too. I mean, he's doing little things as you were talking about the March in Washington when it's getting urinals, getting sandwiches. Like there's little things that, that we can do if you just kind of get involved. 
or maybe it's something that's more local than a national of protest in of Washington. Yep. Um, I mean, he was doing little things and huge things. Yeah. I would say. Yep. Um, I mean, Rustin started at the age of 15 and for 39 years, he worked on civil rights and mm -hmm. then they passed the Voting Rights Act. I yeah. mean, this is mind boggling to me, like the commitment that he had. It's not the same as like, most of us would not work on the same issue for 40 years. There's a lot of losses and hardships along that journey, too. That's that's throughout that time. But but I guess, yeah, I, I hope that that it will cause people to I mean, all my work, I hope it it helps people think about their own lives and what they're mm -hmm. doing with them. And, you know, how do we make the world a better place? And this is kind of a dark moment to be asking those questions, but maybe all the more reason. So absolutely. thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for this doc and this conversation. I, it was super educational. I'm, 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 you know, it just it's it's it, there was a gap in my knowledge, and I'm 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 so glad to fill it with a very very inspiring person that you you taught me a lot about. So thank you and thank you for the time here today. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate your interest. Thanks for having me. Take care. There's a version of careless love from Mississippi. Oh, This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.